Welcome to episode 120 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Hey, welcome back to another episode. We have a great interview to get to, but I did have um, one thought I wanted to share this week, and that is having some tough conversations with um, providers or on-site people or parents when you're doing telepractice. Um, I had some a session that did not go as planned, and the family was in the car. I was on the phone. The screen share wasn't working. Nothing mm. went right. And, um, you know, I had to have some tough conversations with that, but I think some tips that I have based on that conversation is to one, be understanding. Um, I, you know, acknowledge that the, I'm sure that the family was doing the best that they could in that situation. Mm -hmm. And then two is just also to be honest that, uh, you know, this didn't work well. This was not a productive session. Next time, let's reschedule instead of doing it this way. So I can, you know, provide you the best services and use our time the best. And, or if it's a, uh, on-site person, maybe at a school, being honest with them about this grouping didn't work well. I had a student one time that was just had a really hard time with impulse control, and they paired that student with some a student that needed a lot of wait time. So I was waiting for one student mm -hmm. to respond while the other one was jumping in, <laughs> and we did one session that way, and I was like, we can't do this again. We need to do something else. So I think if we are going to maintain that, um, the integrity of telepractice and having it be the same that it would be in person, sometimes we have to kind of protect it and be like, okay, this is not working the way that we're doing it. And we need to do it a different way to have it be effective. Oh, I agree. I agree. I think... <laughs> trying to connect with with the parents as they're driving and doing all that it's uh, right. i can imagine it's it's crazy but yeah we yeah but that may be the only time that parents have available to them, yeah you know things yep. like that come up yeah yep. uh, and this this family they had um i think i figured out that the power went out and they were getting mm. heat stroke because we have you know this really heat, bad right. heat wave going on right now right. and so i was glad that i had kind of come out of the gate being like i'm sure that you're doing the best you can so when they told mm -hmm. me all of that i wasn't like oh my gosh i feel terrible i still feel <laughs> terrible that they had to deal with that but you know if you just present go from the beginning being understanding that i'm sure they're doing the best that they can right Exactly. I think it, I think that's that's the safest thing you can say. Right. And keep keep them uh, on on your side so to speak. Right. Know? Exactly. Especially with all the stuff that's happening around the country with the weather is crazy. Yep. Well, I don't know if you saw but this week Asha released the new guidelines on what graduate students can count in terms of telepractice. And we're not going to go into it today, but it just came out this week. It's very it's interesting. I think they are allowing students to count uh, more than I thought they would. Uh, but next episode, I'm planning on doing a, a little bit deeper dive uh, into the numbers and what it says. But I think it's progress. You know, my my quick looking at the standards, I think it's it's progress, and I think uh, I just hope that our training programs will continue to provide 
either coursework and or practicum with telepractice uh, for our, our students uh, before they graduate so that they can enter into this world that's waiting for them, which is going to be more and more telepractice going forward. So, and, and speaking of all that, speaking of training and, and, and companies that are doing things, we have Joe Como who's on from stepping stones, uh, EBS in terms of, they are really going into uh, more and more teletherapy and telepractice. Uh, and their focus of course is on schools. So, we have Joe on tonight and uh, on this episode, and uh, we get to hear more from him. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, we at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. So, Joe, welcome to the podcast. If you don't mind, share more about your background. Sure, I'd be happy to. And thanks so much for inviting me. Um, I've been an SLP since uh, 1998. And I it wasn't my first career choice. It was a, a quick pivot for me. I grew up in New York City. And I grew up surrounded by New York City and in the whole culture of New York City. And I was certain that I wanted to work in the film and TV production business. And I did some internships as an undergrad at St. John's University mm -hmm. and got exposed to the industry and soon found out that I wasn't comfortable in the industry. <laughs> I, the, yeah. the people I was meeting and was working with just weren't the, the type of people I saw myself making a career with. And I did some soul searching and... It was almost random the way I discovered the field of speech language pathology. I was in a public library because back then those were still places where you went for information. <laughs> True, yeah, back in those days. <laughs> and I this this particular library had something very unusual. It was called a career file. It was kind of like a card index, which are also, mm -hmm. which were very useful back then as well, but uh, right. with information on various careers arranged alphabetically. And I was flipping through them, really just looking for, for just, I didn't know what I was looking for. And I came across teacher of the deaf and mm. hearing impaired. And that piqued my interest. And I read a little bit more about it and then learned about this field of speech language pathology. And that really kind of anchored me mm -hmm. uh, with a, a strong interest. Uh, looked up some programs. I had already earned a bachelor's degree at that point. But I decided to apply for a master's level program, and many of my credits were taken. Fast forward two and a half years through the graduate level program, and I became one of the very few male SLPs to graduate <laughs> in 1998. Wow. Wow. And yeah. uh, have no regrets. No regrets ever since. And so what's been your, your clinical area? Uh, as a speech language pathologist, 
I have really always strongly gravitated towards school age um, speech and language disorders and um, making learning fun. Um, Mm -hmm. I I have a side interest that I've developed over the years in gameplay and the the dynamics behind gameplay and how to incorporate learning into that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my school-based intervention was always play-based and game-based. And there were times when I would work with students on even creating the games because it was part of the process of using whatever language skill or speech skill um, was Mm -hmm. part of the gameplay. And they would help me create the materials. And that was such a great way to spend our our therapy time without doing drill or without doing an activity that we had done 40 times before. Um, So if we were making a game with cards, the students would actually help me. I'll put a word on a card and we're going to need the opposite word for this card. So they would help create the cards for that game or whatever the the skill or the goal happened to be focusing on. And that was a great way to create therapy activities, which is Mm -hmm. is, this. I'm glad you brought this up because this is very directly related to my perspective on teletherapy, but creating the activity that would was an activity, a a learning activity in itself and a practice activity in itself. And that would become something that we could use with lots of different students. So I always really enjoyed that population. Like a lot of SLPs that worked in many different settings though, many uh, zero to 101, age Mm -hmm. 101. So the K through five, uh, um, atmosphere and setting is where I always felt most natural though with my with my skills as an SLP. So what you are admitting here on the podcast is that you made these children make all your activities. Pretty much. <laughs> some of them. Not all of them. Some Just of them. So, so I, I, I've always I, had the the oh I'm sorry. No, I have grad students to do that. So <laughs> they're a little bit older. <laughs> a little bit different. <laughs> But it's a great learning opportunity for the for the kids, for sure. Absolutely. I've always felt that a good SLP should be able to be sent into a, a session with nothing but some blank paper and some drawing instruments and be able to come up with some materials to work on almost any goal or objective. Um, very uh, bootstrapping uh, mentality when it comes to what do I use for, for therapy resources. Right. And like I've been saying, I'm going to connect that to my perspective mm-hmm. on teletherapy. Mm-hmm. I have a similar belief, even in the digital age. Sure, sure. So you've you, you focused more on that on the school age population, and then so how how did telepractice uh, enter into the career? I was working at a school on site. Mm-hmm. This was in about 2015, mm-hmm. and I got a call out of the blue from a recruiter at a a nationwide staffing company Mm -hmm. for SLPs. And um, they they, uh, said, we have a new position for next school year, but it's teletherapy. And they've never done it before. And they're hoping that we can provide them with a therapist who knows how to do that. Would you be interested? And I said, sure. I had been interested, but just out of a side type of curiosity like everyone mm-hmm. else at, the, at that time i'm sure there were people using it developing it <clears throat> experimenting mm-hmm. with it but it wasn't very widespread right um but i felt confident enough to give it a try 
is in addition to being creative with scissors and paper and, and manual materials for creating therapy resources, I had also had a very strong interest in, in developing digital and computer-based resources for therapy. Um, that was an area I thought I might kind of segue into at some point. Mm-hmm. And in many ways I have now by default as, as with my current position, but um, I felt confident enough to say, yes, it was managing a full-time caseload in a school five days a week. Um, I don't remember how many students, but a full-time caseload and a lot of school-based SLPs know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and it went very, very well. The students responded so positively to it and mm-hmm. were so focused and the attending skills were, were not an issue at all. As long as I had something prepared and I was there to guide them through an activity or a series of exercises, holding their attention was no issue. I did have a little bit of help on the school side. There was someone mm-hmm. there to assist the students. Um, but it was a great run. And uh, that was my first year that I was thrown into it. Um, the company or the school neither provided anything to me. Um, maybe they provided the the account on the web, uh, on the video conference platform. Okay. But that was it. Yeah. And I had to create it. So it was almost like a, a calling out to me that like, I, I was, I felt like I was the perfect person for the job. <laughs> uh-huh. <All right. laughs> if you need a therapist who can create something out of nothing, I'm your man. Yeah. <laughs> MacGyver, MacGyver therapist. Yeah. <laughs> so, Kim, have you had that experience where you just say, here's, here's nothing? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yep. 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 I have. I had uh, this week I've had a I have a new placement every year. I'm kind of like, wait until I get my assignment and see what it's going to be. So I'm kind of doing that this week. And then I had some that were like, well, we haven't found a therapist. These were the kids you were supposed to have. And then we haven't found a therapist to cover all the rest of them. (laughs) So you're going to see all of these guys, too. So and sometimes Mm. like I've used um, emoji stickers in the middle of a session to kind of create, (laughs) you know, like, okay, let's work on uh, pronouns. And I have a girl sticker and a boy sticker and a picture of a group of people. And that's what we're going to work on just using these emoji stickers. Sure. But yeah, I have found that it's almost easier because you have the whole Internet at your fingertips instead Mm -hmm. of just like whatever is in your purse in your at your fingertips too. Right. So um tell us some of the activities that you guys that you came up with that first year when it was just you and no resources. It was a lot of PowerPoints. <laughs> yeah. And learning how to design, take advantage of that format in a way that would bring in remote control, like on Zoom, mm-hmm. for example, um, where things could be manipulated on the screen. Mm-hmm. But always in a way that would rely on the verbal skills for participation of the child, whether it was speech production or language use. Um, it was it was always obvious to me that creating and using web-based materials in your treatment sessions was not about finding something that would do the job for you. In fact, that flies in the face of, of what we're here for in the first place. You had to find something that supported what you were trying to do, something that would engage the students, but still let you as the clinician guide how the interaction goes, guide the prompting, um, and have actions on the screen dependent on the student's verbal participation. 
And mm-hmm. in fact, there were many activities that I used that were just web-based games, games found on websites that were not speech related in any way. Right. But in, in some instances, depending on the, the goals or objectives we were working on, the student would give me directions to, mm-hmm. and tell me what to do to make something happen in the game. Right. And, and it was just constant language production in, mm-hmm. in that type of setting, in that type of session. And That's the, the what... student was just talking away because yep, they were yeah. so motivated by the game, which is what got me interested in, in learning the dynamics of gameplay. I became sort of an informal student of, of game design and the, the, the world that takes place when you sit down and decide to play a game together, the rules that go into effect and, and the cause and effect um, things that happen. And all that was very, very interesting to me. And I brought that into my speech and language sessions. And, and that was really how I started, how I got cemented into, um, you know, my technique of providing intervention in a teletherapy setting. Um, it's not relying on the, the digital materials to take over for you. You're not going to find a program or a website that, that puts the child through a series of exercises so they can accomplish a specific goal. That's my job. That My job is to come up with a way to facilitate that, to support the student in learning how to do that. If you happen to have a fun game that makes the time go by quicker for the child and makes them forget that they're practicing some mundane skill, then perfect. That's exactly what we're looking for in teletherapy. Um, mm-hmm. They forget what, that they're working on something Thing, um, on a skill that is hard for them. They, they forget and just focus on enjoying the activity and having fun. Now, not every session is exactly like that, but a great right. deal of them are. I mean, they, they can be in teletherapy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, when you were talking about the getting more verbal from them because they can't manipulate things, I think the, that screen share or the ability to not screen share is one of the most powerful tools because when you're in person, even you can't like, you know, take away the toys and be like, okay, you can only tell me what to do with the toys so I can get more more. language out of you. Yeah. I I provide a lot of training and instruction in my current role to fellow SLPs. And that's one of the things I'm constantly repeating. Every time you give control, of the screen to the student, you're taking away the need for them to use their verbal skills. Mm -hmm. So have them tell you what to do with their words, with their sentences, with their language use. Yep. Yep. That's that's a very good point. I think some clinicians would think, oh, this is a way to keep them engaged. I'm going to let them do it and turn it over. But in in actuality, you're, you're giving up that, that opportunity for more language. That's a very good point. So, let me ask, Joe, how how did you uh, get into your current position with EBS and, and Stepping Stones? Um, so sure, can, sure. if you don't mind, explain Stepping Stones, EBS, um, how that comes together. Yeah, well, EBS entered into a partnership with Stepping Stones, the Stepping Stones Group. It's uh, consisting of uh, 17 different companies right now. And EBS entered into that last year. And um, our missions and our approach to providing school-based services were very, very similar, uh, very much in alignment. So there was a very much a natural fit there. And uh, the way I, I came into this position was, again, through uh, recruitment efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, I had worked with EBS in years past, and they checked in on me one day and 
And I told the person who gave me a call that I, I was enjoying a teletherapy position right now, that position that I described earlier. I was in my second year of that um, position and they were really curious. They started asking me some questions and um, we talked for a few minutes about how it all worked and, and they thanked me for my time and they were glad I was doing all right and promised <laughs> to stay in touch. And then a couple of days later, I got another call. And it was the same person. And they asked, would you be willing to come in to discuss teletherapy with us? Um, we, we have some ideas of putting a plan in place, putting a, developing a program. And when you were talking about it, we thought your, your experience and, and your approach might be really valuable to us. So I did go in for that meeting and uh, I was offered that position and, and was, was just, again, felt like I was the perfect person for the job when, when the offer was made to me. And mm -hmm. I, I'm still to this day, uh, six years into my position, completely grateful and just wake up really enthusiastic about the work I do every day, because now I get to share information with fellow mm -hmm. SLPs. I provide a lot of training and instruction. I design the training and instruction, um, just like enjoying the game design process. Designing instruction for me is a process that uh, must involve keeping the learner entertained. Mm -hmm. And I try to always design trainings and instructional content that is captivating and engaging. And, and I've received quite a bit of feedback on that. Your, your training is not like a lot of the other trainings I've sat in on. I was actually awake for most of it. <laughs> I, I'm acutely aware mm -hmm. of the tone I present in my training. And I want to be consistent with that throughout. If I'm asking you to sit through one hour or four hours, I need to keep you engaged and alert and, and keep your brain active on that. So I really love the position I have. Um, in addition to designing and, and presenting the instruction, I provide day-to-day -day support to therapists, SLPs across the country. Um, just about every one of them working in a school setting and mm -hmm. working with schools that are at, at various stages of comfort with teletherapy, but have accepted teletherapy as the, the model that they'll use to provide services. And every school is so different. And, and that's why our approach is different with each school. We offer a very customized approach to each school that we work with. And well, I, I could go on, but <laughs> I don't want to digress too much from your original question. Oh, no, I think that's great. I, I, you know, I think, um, I think people would, would, our listeners would love to, to know more about the plans for EBS and how you guys are, are, are moving forward with telepractice and, and how it's, how it's rolling out around the country. Sure. Sure. Uh, well, like I was saying, it's, it's uh, every school has its own comfort level, its own experience level, its own acceptance level, so to speak of, of using teletherapy. And so our approach has been one that's tailored to each school um, we we made a conscious decision when we decided to offer teletherapy services nationwide that we would not be built around a platform um, or a program. And this is not to disparage any other organization that offers teletherapy because mm -hmm. there are many and they're all out there doing great things and 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 helping students, you know, uh, uh, um, achieve their goals and and get the services they need, but. From day one, I felt strongly that teletherapy is not about the computer. It's got to be the clinician's skill that makes this happen first. And we're simply bringing that skill into a new format. 
And if there's anything new to learn, it's just how to manipulate these digital tools at our disposal, which do amazing things now, but keep the clinical skill at the forefront. That's what matters most when it comes to providing effective services for students in a school setting. So the platform is almost not important. Um, any platform will do the job. Some do it better than others. And <laughs> even I have my favorites, but you could provide effective teletherapy service on just about any of the widely available platforms that are out there now. Mm -hmm. So we have schools using a wide variety of platforms. You name a commercial video platform, we've got a school using it. So that means we provide training and instruction to the SLPs on whatever platform their school is asking them to use. It was a funny thing um, as, as teletherapy developed through the pandemic situation, and you can't avoid that topic when you're talking about teletherapy. Sure. But prior to the pandemic onset, um, schools were completely new to this and relied on us, needed us to show them every inch of the way, how right. every step was taken care of. And that even meant shipping computers out to the schools and visiting the schools mm -hmm. um, to make sure everything was set up adequately and properly and that everyone felt comfortable with everything, providing sort of on-site reassurance and support. Um, as the pandemic unfolded, um, and then we all became more reliant on video conferencing, and that became a, 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 a very common thing for everybody almost, um, schools started to make their own decisions about which video conference platform to use. And they would tell us which one was approved or which one we had permission to use. Mm -hmm. And that sort of uh, fell into their hands or they took that into their hands. So we now work around that. And again, that's why it's not about the platform. It's not about the computer. These are just, this is a conduit. This is, this is just the, the connection that makes it happen. But the clinical skill is what's going to facilitate the development of skills and, and strengths in a child, not the, not the screen sharing or the, the, <laughs> the remote control button on the video conference platform. There are workarounds to make all that happen on any platform you might use. And knowing how to use those things is important. And that's why every one of our SLPs on the EBS Stepping Stones teletherapy team gets training first. Um, they, uh, we have a very thorough, I think one of the most thorough instructional programs on teletherapy in the field. And we ask everyone to complete it before they sit down with their first students for their first session. And it's not all about where to click and how to share your screen or how to get to fun activities on the web. A lot of it is about our perspective on teletherapy, that we can confidently expect it to provide equivalent outcomes, that we can provide it, uh, we can rely on it to let the clinician provide an exceptional quality of service delivery for a student, but they have to get confident and comfortable with this format first. That usually means relying on the same type of content that you're familiar with as an SLP, but just learning how to use it in a digital format. I used to laugh a lot about um, telling therapists that I don't ever want to see anyone holding up a book to the screen. <laughs> I know people are listening and can't see that, but imagine yep. holding up a paper book to the screen and, and telling mm -hmm. the student where to look and pointing to something on the book. That is not taking advantage of the format at all. You've oh. got to come up with a way of, of translating or, or uh, 
repurposing that content using the digital capabilities that we now have. And if you need help with that, that's what we're here for. And we've developed a library of resources around that. But I'll also work on SLPs on just that. If they have an idea of what they want to work on, they have materials, tried and true, traditional format materials that they've always relied on, I'll work with them on changing that into something that is much more digital friendly. And like Kim said, we have the world at our, our fingertips. And I still think not everyone realizes that. There's right. still quite a few people out there who just don't realize the scope of what's available yeah. on the internet mm -hmm. and how most of it is safe to use in the privacy of a, a therapy session. Um, mm -hmm. So the world really is at your fingertips and your creativity is the limit. I like how you were talking about not having being platform dependent. I think when the pandemic hit, I had just been using, I had done teletherapy for a number of years, but I had only used one platform for it. And then I had all these people being like, Kim, you've done teletherapy, teach us how to do teletherapy. And I was like, <laughs> right. okay, I have to teach them how to do teletherapy without all of these platform specific tools that I have been using. Right. And it did, right. like, it made me realize that and become, I think, a better therapist because I had to figure out how to do it without that platform. And, yes. but, and now I can go, you know, to any platform and be like, well, I only know how to do teletherapy on this platform. I can do, and I only have resources and materials on this platform. I started to, you know, build those or have those in other places. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes it so you are not dependent on that company or that job to be like, well, I only know how to do this if it's with you. <laughs> Absolutely. Give me 10 minutes. I'll, I'll show you how to do that on a different platform. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and very few SLPs can find training for this. Yeah outside of maybe like in an organization like ours where it's part of the right. structure, it's part of the pathway into mm -hmm. the position. Right. Um, it's just not readily available uh, right now. And this school, we're at the beginning of a new school year right now. And I am, um, I, you know, I, I'm, I hear myself saying this and, and I realize it sounds, it sounds odd, but I still find myself surprised at how, unprepared maybe is the word a lot of SLPs are for this um, we all were thrown into the world of video conferencing um, and a lot of people mm -hmm. made it a part of their day-to-day -day lives during the the height of the pandemic um, but the the nuances of teletherapy delivery are still new to a lot of clinicians right. and um, you know when you're embedded in it every single day you forget that you think it's natural and normal and to us it really is we don't see this as anything that's going away anytime soon this is not a fad we don't even feel that it's cutting edge anymore it's it's something there were so many schools that were using teletherapy prior to the pandemic hundreds of schools across the country were using and that was just the schools that i was connected with through ebs um so there were many more than that of course but um it just hadn't um, caught on everywhere. Um, but uh, now, um, year, fast forwarding years ahead, um, I, I feel so natural in this model of service delivery. I forget that not everyone has had that, has gone down that path yet. So we make sure that everyone is thoroughly prepared and oriented and, and confident and comfortable with the platform they're using, with where to source resources from, with most importantly, how to be engaging with your students 
um, I tell every SLP that comes on board with us, you're, you're really going to love this in time and just a short amount of time too. Because if you're managing a school caseload, you're going to be doing this many hours a day. <laughs> we can talk about that a little bit too. And my guidance and my perspectives on, on that, I'm being stuck in a chair in front of a computer screen all day. But um, you're going to be doing a lot of this. So you're going to pick it up pretty quickly. And I'm pretty sure you're really going to enjoy it. Um, none of us as SLPs, uh, who have been in the field for a while ever imagined that this would be an option for us, but here it is. Mm -hmm. And in a school setting, um, it just works so well. We never set out to create an environment where we have people believing that we're trying to eliminate traditional service delivery or face-to-face -face or site. And we still emphasize that we don't want to see that go away. There will always be a need for that. But where it works, especially in, in K through five settings, elementary and even middle and high schools, it works really well. If you have a therapist that's prepared, has kind of made that little leap of that leap of faith into a little bit of the unknown and has taught themselves something new. And it's not a steep learning curve at all. Um, and all ages, uh, brand new clinical fellows and, and SLP veterans, <laughs> I've seen them become successful with teletherapy and really latch onto it, enjoy it, and say things like, I wish I had discovered this sooner. Um, but again, I say all that, it might sound on the surface like this is now the way everyone should do it. And I don't believe that. Like I said, right. there will always be a need for face-to-face on-site services. But where this works, it works really, really well. And it gets services to students who otherwise wouldn't have them. Many of the schools that we work with uh, are, were, and are facing compliance issues. Teletherapy mm -hmm. speeds up that that recovery process pretty efficiently mm -hmm. and pretty quickly. It takes, you know, a team of people and it takes time, but it gets things moving in the right direction. Um, whereas before teletherapy was an option, there was no option. And in some cases, the, the non-compliance issues were just indefinitely lingering. Um, so this solves a lot of problems. It gets services to students that that were not getting treatment because no SLP was available. Um, there is still a shortage, of course, of SLPs. And it's odd in some ways. It's ironic. The uh, teletherapy sort of contributes to that shortage in some ways of on-site SLPs anyway. Um, you know, everyone, the people who have caught on to this have discovered the joy of working at home <laughs> and how they can use their skills effectively and still make real connections with their students and, and get that reward professionally. Um, but um, a lot of people don't want to go back to a commute or don't want to travel mm -hmm. for a position or don't want to be in a building with a lot of people. Um, I hear <laughs> that sentiment quite a bit. Sure. So teletherapy gives them uh, a, a way around that. Yeah. Um, I saw so, I saw someone in SLP group this week that said, "How do I quit getting sick during the school <laughs> year?" And that was my, you know, kind of tongue in cheek response was teletherapy. Do teletherapy and you never right. get sick. We used to <laughs> joke funny. about making T-shirts that said things like teletherapy, no more pink eye, or things like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I, I, I'm working well, on some shirts for Asha that well, I might add that to the list. Yeah, there you no go. More bringing bringing bronchitis home to your family. Right. <laughs> Because right. you don't get it because you you build up the immunity. But right. so yeah, working at home is now an option for people um, and in a in a 
arrangement where that was never imaginable before. None of us went into this hoping, you know, oh, maybe I'll land that work at home gig. That wasn't a right. thing. That, that's not why we entered this field. Um, but it can become a very natural fit for any SLP mm-hmm. who enjoys working in a school setting. Um, and all of the responsibilities that an SLP has in a school setting can be managed through teletherapy. We've been showing that for years now. Assessments, your IEP responsibilities, IEP team involvement. Most schools now have their meetings, their annual review, their meetings with parents on a video conference platform, even if they don't have to. They latched onto that during the pandemic or in, in the aftermath of the pandemic and stuck with that format because it's easier to get parents and, and family into a meeting that way uh, than it is to, you know, have them drive into school and schedule that schedule a trip for that appointment. Right. And it's also easier to bring an interpreter in, right. which opens right. it up to, you know, all sorts of inclusion and, and, and accommodating diverse needs. Yeah. So um, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, we talked about uh, some of the trainings and certifications and kind of knowing whether it's a good one or a not good one. Um, and what what do you think about that? What should people look for when they're looking for more training in teletherapy? Where should they go for that? Other, I, I would love for everyone to be able to go through your training, but it sounds sure. kind of yeah specific sure. to your employees. But what else should they be looking for? They should get a training that has as its foundation an emphasis on providing an equivalent quality and level of services, not expecting the computer to replace them. Um, If you believe that teletherapy, and and I would say this to someone outside of clinical circles, if I were discussing or explaining or describing teletherapy to them, that teletherapy replaces a person then we're talking about artificial intelligence and we don't want that. And that's Mm -hmm. not what this is at all. We need clinical skill. So some, uh, the training has to be based on the idea that this is not a replacement. This is something that's going to connect your skills to the children, students, and patients that need them. Um, medical settings picked up on this much earlier than than our clinical field did. I mean, it's it's been very well. It's been embraced in hospital settings, doctors' visits, and the mental health field, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and and during the pandemic, I, I I'm pretty confident in assuming that the mental health field took great advantage of of this type yeah. of of mm-hmm. intervention intervention method. Um, but something that emphasizes remembering to put your clinical skills first. And then after that, a little bit of support on getting comfortable with this format. And I don't just mean how to use your keyboard or your mouse. Mm-hmm. I mean, something very similar to what we, the three of us are doing right now, having a natural conversation, mm-hmm. um, not feeling intimidated by this digital presence, this digital barrier between us, um, forgetting that that's there and, and engaging right. with people naturally and normally. And then the step after that is how to enhance that naturalness. Like with the jokes we were making before about the mm-hmm. camera being up your nose. And <laughs> those are actually right. things I mentioned in my training, the little, the little details you won't, you don't take advantage. Uh, you don't take notice of until you've been doing this for a while. Right. Um, right. And it's amazing how many people will look at a camera in a video conference call and not know that the camera is aimed right up their nose. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
It's not natural. That's uh-huh. not how you and I would be talking if we were face to face. Let's make this as close to a, an in-person face to face conversation as we can. That's why uh, I know people are listening and not seeing us. But uh, when I'm on camera with my uh, students or even my colleagues, my screen and camera are set up. So my camera is is almost face level with me. It's not pointing up at me. Um, I do. I did emphasize early on the importance of controlling your background. I prefer the natural background. The artificial backgrounds are all the rage now. <laughs> Every, everyone wants to uh, make the illusion that they're somewhere else. And I, I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just like to make it as natural as, as possible. Depends on how clean the room is behind it. You. Does. <laughs> Which it does. That, that's a, a concern. Mm-hmm. That's also raised in our training. Um, right. B- because... The artificial backgrounds, or I forget what they call them, actually, that's not what they're called inside the platforms, but um, changing your background was not an option early on in the early right. days of video conferencing. Um, but I did have to point out that it's important to take note of what's behind you right. and what's going to be behind you during your sessions. We don't want right. to see messy kitchens. We don't want to see messy bedrooms. Yep. And um, it's something, again, that not everyone thought about intuitively or, or instantly, right. um, something that did have to be pointed out. Yeah, I feel like something that I wish there was more opportunities for is one, practicing doing it before you have to be with a client and two, seeing someone else do it before you have mm. to jump in and do it. Because even I went through some trainings and I knew like, the ins and outs, the, where the buttons were, everything like that. But I still felt like I had not just seen somebody do a session naturally, what it looked like from beginning to end. And that's mm-hmm. something that I feel like there's, I don't know, a hole in the industry for in trainings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can find a little bit of that. If you go searching on YouTube, there are some mm-hmm. Um, really nice content providers out there, SLPs who have put a lot of content up. But um, in my own training, uh, part of it towards the the very end, after we've gotten through those important concepts and the foundations of what right. goes into effective teletherapy, um, you will see me playing games on the screen. Interact. Now we we don't. One of the reasons is it's a little tricky to to demonstrate it um, without. Uh, and and have a, a student in your session right. and show that right. to the world. Um, but in my training, it's me and um, sort of playing both parts, but is realistic. And it's not really role playing, but it's and here's where you would prompt for this. And here's here's an example of how to work this skill into the activity. Mm-hmm. Um, I would pull a game up on the screen and play the game on the screen and and go through all of the, the linguistic hoops that, <laughs> that I'm going to go through with the students and uh, demonstrate as much as I could there but you're right there there is there must be some training and some confidence building mm-hmm. for SLPs doing this absolutely I think that's the the hardest thing sometimes and and I I think the other way that we need to to really focus on getting people trained of course is to get more of our training programs uh, and the graduates training programs where they're incorporating more and more telepractice into, you know, before they graduate, so they get at least some exposure to it. Um, here, where I am at University of Akron, we're, we're doing that, but uh, I'm I'm fearful that a lot of training programs had to do it because of COVID, and now that we're coming sort of coming out of COVID uh, and opening right. up again, I think uh, what I'm kind of feeling 
uh, is that a lot of faculty around the country are kind of like, okay, we had to do that for COVID. Now we're getting back to what we used to do. And so I think um, some of them are are not going to continue with that level of of telepractice instruction and, and experiences for their grad students. And I think that's the wrong thing to do because this is where the world is moving. Yeah. Right. And, and then moving as a, as an S as a individual becomes an SLP and moves out into the working world, they're going to have more and more options that involve teletherapy. And this has to be presented at the university level, not as a form of therapy, of course. And, and I know that's obvious to us, but at first glance, I think a lot of clinicians, a lot of students, um, and a lot of academic instructors will see it that way as and, and might take on teaching it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be presented as a, an option of a service delivery model. And that's all. So the right. training doesn't have to be, uh, I personally think a semester's length training on, on how to do teletherapy would be too much. Um, we you, you can use these skills much quicker than that. Mm-hmm. Um, you need the semester's length training on language development and, and all the, the building right. blocks, uh, the building block skills that a clinician needs. But for this, no, this is just um, like picking up any therapy resource activity or material and getting acquainted with it. Right. I like that because I think so many times we're asking in academic programs, how can we add anything else? You know, we're already, they have so many classes, they have so many um, requirements that they have to fill, so many competencies they have to show. Right. And so it's just, instead of being a separate thing, it's a layer on it. You know how to do language therapy. Now do you know how to do language therapy on a computer instead? It's, yeah, I like that perspective. Right. Like I said, oh, here's here's my chance. I told you mm-hmm. I would bring this up again. Sure. Put a therapist in a room and just give them some paper and drawing materials. Can you come up with a good therapy? Any good SLP worth their C's should absolutely, in my opinion, be able to come up with something if you give them 10 minutes. When it comes to teletherapy, um, mm-hmm. you've got to take advantage of everything that's out there and be creative. Not every teletherapy activity or, or um, um, thing that you use has to be a web-based resource. Mm-hmm. You put three mm-hmm. SLPs side by side, maybe record them, video record them, doing a session with the same students or the same goals and objectives. And ideally, you should see three very different things take place mm-hmm. if, if those clinicians are really using their clinical skills. One SLP may have the website that they rely on for engaging activities and games, Another one may have a whiteboard on the screen and they're taking advantage of that. And what content appears on the screen depends on what verbal activity takes place. Right. And the third one may just have their camera on and nothing Mm -hmm. else. And the activity is all based on the verbal exchanges that are taking place based on their prompts. Right. And then there are the SLPs who go overboard in the best way possible <laughs> and have their teletherapy studio and they're ringing bells and they're shaking noisemakers and they have a hat on. <laughs> I love seeing that. I love seeing the, the SLP who gets totally um, engaged and embedded in the whole process and, and understands the art of creating an environment out of mm-hmm. this. And mm-hmm. that, that truly engages students. And you don't have to. You don't have to create a studio environment like that. Right. 
But I do think uh, SLP needs to uh, bring a certain amount of charisma to a session, to be right. engaging, to to captivate the student just a little bit. You're going to have those sessions where the student does not reply <laughs> the way you want them to, does not respond the way you expect them to, to every one of right. your prompts or to every one of your activities. So you've got to have a lot of tricks in your bag, just like that literal bag that you used to carry around that had all the toys in it. When you're doing early intervention and one toy didn't work, you reached into your bag and grabbed another toy. The same concept applies here. Yeah. I like exactly. um, when you were talking about those, you know, seeing three different therapists doing it all a different way. And then also thinking about each of those therapists being able to do it any of those three ways, too, that it's not just this yes. is the only way that I know how to do mm-hmm. this online. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Well, Joe, thank you for a very lively conversation. And how can uh, our listeners, if they want to reach out to you and learn more about uh, EBS, Stepping Stones EBS, and and maybe even become a teletherapist for you, how can they reach out to you? They should get in contact with the Stepping Stones group and right away express their interest in teletherapy providing teletherapy. We have a team uh, waiting to usher you in and and introduce you to the process. And that will bring you into our system of support that exists for teletherapy providers. And once you are on our team, um, there is the same structure of support, but but even more so in some ways. But um, just because you're a teletherapy provider doesn't mean you're out there in the digital ether and you don't exist someplace physically. We have our regional directors all around the country that connect with our teletherapy providers, people who know the school systems really well, because that is our main focus, of course, um, taking care of the needs of of school caseloads and um, providing services in that setting. Um, But our our directors uh, provide support that's sort of on the ground for teletherapy, if that makes sense. They know the Mm -hmm. school system. They know the IEP system very well. They're going to get you well-versed in how that district or area of the state does things and and learn their Mm -hmm. processes and expectations. And then I said even more so because we also have a layer of teletherapy support that is specific to the nuances of providing and the needs that a clinician has in, in getting comfortable with teletherapy. And uh, so it's not just me, it's a team of people and uh, they should just reach out. They can find Stepping Stones group pretty easily online and Mm -hmm. and give us a call and right away express their interest in teletherapy as an SLP. And they'll be connected with someone in our team and we'll start the conversation from there. Awesome. Well, good luck with everything. And thank you for joining us on the podcast. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. I want to thank Joe for joining us and sharing his passion about telepractice. Check out what he's doing at the Stepping Stones Group or EBS Healthcare. And Joe is the National Director of Telepractice at EBS Healthcare and the Stepping Stones Group. So check out what he's doing and who knows, you may have a position there. He may be looking for someone with some telepractice experience or someone who wants to learn. So thanks again, Joe, and good luck with everything you're doing. And thank you guys for joining us on the podcast. If you don't mind, please rate, review, subscribe, follow, or share this episode and the podcast to whoever you think might benefit. Um, We're trying to get more people subscribed. So if you can help us do that, that would be awesome. And leave us a five-star review. That also helps us to attract new subscribers. That's always 
very, very appreciated. And with that, we'll be back again next week with another episode. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.